today on Video Gameography, talking about Bioshock Infinite. My name is Marcus Stewart. I am joined, as always and as usual, by John Carson. Hello. I'm here. Uh, I'm here to talk about <laughs> Bioshock Infinite. It's hey, uh, we we finally come to the end of this long journey. Uh, all of these Bioshock games, all three of them. All, uh, yeah. it's it i it's been an honor and a privilege uh for these many weeks to uh be speaking about these games with you, yeah long winding road coming to an end end of an era absolutely but we are not wrapping up bioshock alone because we have a very special guest a, a returning guest our second two-time guest former gi editor brian vore hello sir hey guys pleasure to be here love the show i uh, caught the first bioshock episode so I know your guys' vibe on the whole thing yeah. now. Excellent. He's <laughs> like, I've studied all your moves. <laughs> the, second, the second one hasn't released uh, to the public as of this recording. Um, but that's kind of a blind spot in my Bioshock history, because I, I never did play two. But I hear people are like, you know what? Give it a shot. And I've always meant to get back to it. It's funny. John hadn't played two either. That was a talking point yeah. on that episode. Uh, two is the overlooked one, but... It's weird because three or infinite rather, which we're going to be talking about today, the final Bioshock game, at least to date, I've always, I've always looked at two as sort of the like redheaded stepchild of the series, but in some ways that applies to three, because if you are infinite, because if you talk to infinite with folks, it feels like you get very polarizing reactions. You either get, oh, this is a masterpiece. It's genius. Or people are really bummed out and say it's a big disappointment and I don't understand the story and it was just bad. Uh, so before we jump right into it, I want to ask you guys about your own personal history of Bioshock Infinite. Uh, starting with you, Brian, what do you think of this game? Well, I'm definitely in the crowd of loving it. Uh, I, I'm i interested to hear the perspective of, of someone who, I guess, didn't like it very much. But, um, you know, back at GI, we, you know, as you guys talked about, that first Bioshock cover story was really like, what is this world? And, you know, reading that was was fun once those guys got back and they were all excited talking about it. So I was super excited when we got uh, the cover for Infinite as well and to, you know, find out the writer Joe Juba's take on everything. Um, so definitely excited for it to come out. And then, you know, right when it came out, the whole office was just playing it and going, going nuts. And people are like wait are you at this part yet have you just you hear about this like everyone's like very segmented like conversations like way over here in this lunchroom and okay no we're gonna talk over in this hall he got to this part you know like uh that's always fun when a new game comes out and absolutely everyone's playing it and when it's such a story focused game like that you definitely don't want to like uh ruin someone's good time so it was it was an exciting week or two where everyone was just playing it at once yeah that's what a less spoken perk about this job is is that shared excitement when a big release comes out like right now that would be Elden Ring probably for for us uh you know we're not in an office but like slack messages of like did you do the thing or did you know this thing existed <laughs> like that's that's one of my favorite parts of this job for sure I would I wish I was in the office when this game hit because there are plenty of moments where you're like what uh <laughs> did any of those moments resonate with you at all John what is your take on Bioshock Infinite? yeah uh, Infinite, as we as we talked about in the last two shows, like I never finished one, I never finished two, and Not Infinite, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, and somehow <laughs> I can still get a job in this industry. Uh, but but Infinite was one that I 
blew through in like the first two days or something that it was out. Um, And I had two roommates who were also playing it at the same time. And I was burning through it quicker than they were. So I had to hold on to all of the conversation topics like, oh, man, like you get to this part and this whole like everything just like starts expanding like considerably for the whole, not just for this version of the world, but like every version of the world. And it's it it really blew my mind at the time for the possibilities that they were trying to work with um in in the franchise and like seeing where the like an, another bioshock could go after this um was was just incredible to me uh unfortunately we haven't gotten one of those yet uh so who who knows what the what the actual course is for the series but um yeah like playing it I was I was super high on it but a lot of the the a lot of the conversations that happened after the fact um, really put a put the game in a different perspective. Um, it really helped kind of change my ideas on game criticism and what's okay and not okay to put in games. And like it, like look, looking back now, like there is a lot of there or there was a lot of. Um, I guess controversy about like violence in this game and like if it's like too violent and and whatnot and that's something like re reacquainting myself with this entry in the series of like oh yeah like this was something that people this was like a turning point for a lot of people who are like do we need this much excessive violence to tell these kinds of stories and and whatnot and it's something that's kind of resonated for the past decade really um in the industry so it's interesting to see this this game as a flashpoint for that obviously there are a lot of other uh hot topics for this game as well like there's a lot of intentional racism and it it goes down some some wild paths to uh to pull emotions out of people um and whether that those uh whether those topics were appropriate to put in there or not is another discussion entirely. But uh, this game certainly is memorable. Um, I, like I said, I, I loved it when I played it. I still have very fond memories of it and its ending. Um, but it's it's still something you can go back to now and play and find interesting things to talk about and 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 notice. So yeah, I think this game for me, I was you know I was a huge fan of. Bioshock 1, less than one Bioshock 2, but I still enjoyed 2. And, you know, because of the long dev cycle that this game had and the years of hype, the years of trailers, like just being so excited by just like the concept and the idea of Elizabeth uh, and her powers. And mm-hmm. there was, I remember getting this game day one and I loved the game overall. It was like my second favorite game that year. But there, I remember there was a part of me in the in the opening hours or maybe not even the opening hours, the first few hours where I felt some of that hype sort of collapse on itself a bit, where it felt like the mm. game wasn't maybe standing up to it a little bit. And I had to stop and ask myself what I really wanted from this game. And like, cause you know, you know, we'll get into it as we talk about the development history of this game. There's a lot of stuff that was shown that did not make the cut or was reworked in some way or scaled back for, you know, different reasons. And, you know, there's, and even knowing some of that, there's like, oh man, there's the thing that I saw years ago. It's not as cool as it looked, or it's not what I hoped it would be, but it's still like fine. 
And I remember hitting a point in the game as the story started ramping up where I think I made my peace with that and enjoyed the game for what it was uh, than what it maybe could have been or or was (laughs) at a certain point. And then ended up ending on a high note, even though the ending is wild. And I remember at the time still trying to like talk to my friends of like, do we really understand what happened there at the end? And like, <laughs> who are these people? What's the t- what, like? What's where in time are we? Yeah, like really piecing it apart of like, was that good or was it just like, if something is confusing, does that mean that it's good and smart or is it just confusing? Uh, and like trying to figure where I fell on that side of the fence. But overall, if like you know, like we said, there's there is a Bioshock Four coming, but I thought if this if we weren't going to get any more after this, that this was probably still a pretty good high note to go on for the series. Uh, so yeah, decided to dive into it. So, you know, Bioshock released in August uh, 26th of 2013. You know, we're going to take a look back at 2013, which is a pretty interesting year for games. It was a, uh, not a year you don't really hear brought up a bunch. It was a transition year because it was the last year of the uh, PS3 360 generation. And you would get the PS4 and Xbox One this holiday, as well as the first real year of the Wii U, because, you know, the Wii was phased out in 2012. So, you know, we're moving over. So, like, we're at the point where we're getting those late game or late uh, dev cycle uh, games where pretty much as everyone has a handle on the hardware and you're seeing a lot of really cool stuff, but you know that the new thing is on the horizon. Uh, so just some of the big games that came out this year. And I've always looked at this as a three-game year. Because there was this, there was Grand Theft Auto V, and there was The Last yeah. of Us. It seemed like those were the three sort of like top dogs vying for Game of the Year. And it seemed like, by and large, most outlets kind of landed on one of those three. Um, but other big games that came out this year, and uh, first and four was maybe an underrated goatee, was uh, The Legend of Zelda, A Link Between Worlds on 3DS, which is one of my all-time mm-hmm. favorite Zelda games. Oh, freaking. Uh, fantastic. It's <laughs> like that... Uh, Super Mario 3D World, an underrated Mario game that only recently people have found out is really good with it coming to Switch. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dota 2 launched this year, one of the biggest games on the planet. We got, uh, to really date how long ago this was, the first act of Kentucky Route Zero came out this year, (laughs) which only wrapped up in 2020. Uh, In terms of the indie uh, indie front, we got Gone Home, The Stanley Parable, this year we got uh dmc devil may cry so i think overall a pretty strong year and Rayman legends yeah Ray- who could forget the goat we we need another rayman desperately uh, and in terms of big movies of the year i think the biggest movie of the year was frozen nothing this was the the frozen juggernaut mm-hmm. couldn't mm-hmm. nobody could let it go it turns out we also got uh, Phase 2 of the MCU. We got Iron Man 3 and Thor The Dark World, which I think is everyone's favorite Marvel film, from what I understand. Uh, <laughs> Love the dark. Elves. We've got one of the most underrated Marvel films, in my opinion, in The Wolverine this year. That movie's really good. Nobody talks about it. Yeah, I like it. Uh, Man of Steel, Monsters University, The Conjuring, Blackfish, Pacific Rim, American Hustle. All, well, most exceptional films. And in terms of major world events... This was the year that Pope Benedict XVI resigned, which was the first time that I realized that you could just quit being Pope. <laughs> <laughs> you could just put your two weeks notice in and say, I'm done doing this God thing. I'm going to go 
<laughs> do something else now yeah. can you go relax on the pope farm <laughs> that's where that's where they go yes yeah. um this is the year that uh edward snowden who's a former cia employee uh pretty much broke the news about the uh intelligence uh surveillance <laughs> um what do you want to call this exactly <laughs> uh, uh privacy <laughs> breach oh <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, just That's kind of yeah, interesting because, like, you guys were saying the WikiLeaks happened when Bioshock 1 came out. So, you know, whenever this other new Bioshock, I wonder what kind <laughs> watch, of watch out. behind the scenes watchdog stuff is going to get exposed. Yeah, something about Bioshock is the harbinger for making people realize, like, oh, we are being <laughs> Ken, watched. Ken Levine has that's what's been taking so long. He's waiting for someone to actually, like, either gather up the courage or the intelligence to uh, to release some new information. It's probably some some big Facebook leak. Yeah, probably. Or meta, please. Come on. Or meta. Like, I mean, yeah. Excuse me. Excuse me. Uh, this was something I forgot about, but this was the year that that giant meteor exploded over Russia. You remember that? It was over oh, right. that I can't, I'm going to butcher the name of the city. Uh, uh-huh. Chel, Chelyabinskis? Yeah, nailed it. Um, but um, it didn't kill anyone, thankfully. It hurt a bunch of people and damaged like 4,300 buildings. But it was just just a big old space rock that just blew up. <laughs> and uh, that was a, a wild day on Twitter. Just seeing like all all these videos of the meteor just exploding in the sky. <laughs> yeah, just that weird humbling feeling Terrifying. of like, yeah, there's just stuff hurtling through space that could hit us at any time, it turns out. Uh, oh, we are in deep impact now. <laughs> yes, or Armageddon, please. I mean, Or Armageddon. The, yeah, I mean, I was going to go with Armageddon. Armageddon. I didn't... <laughs> I didn't want people to judge me that I like Armageddon. It's got the Aerosmith song. Uh, it does. And of course, the biggest news story, at least for our line of work, like I mentioned, the PlayStation 4 launched November 15th, followed by the Xbox One a week later on November 22nd. Mm-hmm. So there we go. Everyone, everyone hook up your Connect. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. The one that- <laughs> and, and, pour, and pour one out on it, please. <laughs> so yeah, do you want to jump into the uh, dev history here, John? Yeah, uh, so development for Bioshock Infinite started actually pretty close to right after the first Bioshock uh, released. So as we know from the last episode, a lot of developers uh, left uh, 2K Boston uh, or Irrational Games, uh, as we now know it. uh, Rest in peace, Irrational Games. Um, But... Yeah, people people left uh, whether they were just like leaving to go to other places in the industry or they were just burnt out from game development or if they were moving to 2K Marin, who's who's handling development of uh, Bioshock 2. A lot of people left the studio, so that left Ken Levine, um, our auteur of Bioshock and and, uh, previous titles like System Shock uh, to try to try to rebuild this leadership team and uh try to try to find a way forward without uh some key names uh from from the previous game because we mentioned a lot of um people went on to excuse me found a uh, 2k marin who worked on bioshock 2 right. uh and i say or maybe this was like post irrational uh but some of those people went on yeah. to form a molasses flood to uh make the flame in the flood oh yeah 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 Re-reading up on this, like it, it makes a lot of sense for uh, Ken Levine's development style. A lot of it is like him coming up with concepts and ideas, and kind of like passing on those ideas down to the development team, and then them trying to create stuff for it, and then him changing his mind, yeah, like- <laughs> on what he wants for the game. Uh, so a lot of this game just spent like 
the the three years that they were kind of dark on what they were doing and what what kind of game that they were working on um was a lot of just like shuffling cups and trying to try to figure out what they wanted to do part of it was like oh do we want to go back to rapture which which was the direction for a bit but they decided to uh to veer off and do something that was a little bit that gave them more space to create um uh to do a, br a brighter environment to do something that was just more open for their visions which also, if you look at Levine's creative styles, like that kind of helps with his process. It's like we can do anything if we're hypothetically in a city in the sky. Like, yeah, there was something I, I couldn't find verification to this, but I it was a note in the official Bioshock wiki where apparently early on after they ditched the idea of Rapture that the Renaissance as an era was considered. Yeah. Yep. I don't think they knew uh, what they would do with that, but apparently they didn't get far because Assassin's Creed 2 uh came out and was a thing and they're like well we yeah and they're like eh, we don't want to we don't want to hang on those coattails um which i i wouldn't want to follow up assassin's creed to you either yeah, i just wonder what that would look like like okay like would it be a period piece or would it have just been columbia but italian renaissance themed or? uh yeah i guess there was a tiny taste of it in uh um was it beyond the sea what's the dlc name burial at sea burial at sea yeah. There's a tiny taste of that, a little bit, I guess. There's like a little Paris sequence, but I guess we can talk about that towards the end. Mm -hmm. But that's a little bit of a taste, maybe. Yeah. Okay. And and re uh, at least using some of the ideas that they had. I, I mean, by the end of the game, like you could go theoretically anywhere. <laughs> so yeah. Um. So yeah, they they kind of decided um pretty early on that they wanted to do something in the way of like American exceptionalism and instead of working with themes like they like they were in uh, in Rapture where it's about Ayn Rand's works and about genetics and whatnot that they move into kind of what a madman's idealized version of early 1900s America would look like so they they decided on building uh, Columbia, which is a city that's floating above the clouds uh, that is based on something that Ken Levine was researching about, like the 1893 World's Fair in Chicago. Yeah. Um, and and H.H. H. Holmes, uh, who's uh, a notorious, famous, uh, like millionaire serial killer. Mm. Uh, who I believe we talked about in the first Bioshock episode. Yeah, it's weird because uh, he's going to be the focus of that new Dark Pictures game that comes out this year, H.H. H. Holmes. Oh, uh, okay. Like, it takes place in his murder house. So for some reason, H.H. H. Holmes is, like, relevant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go go watch American Horror Story Hotel. Uh, he's also very relevant in that. Or at least there's a character who who is uh, based on him. Yeah, but you mentioned the World's Fair, and that was kind of the... Uh, it's weird to say for you kids that don't know what a World's Fair is, because that is way before our time, too. <laughs> but like, it's, it's like in, in Iron Man 2 when Stark has the Stark Expo, and everyone gets together and shows off all their cool technology. Yeah, and it was also an excuse for the United States to be like, look at us, we're pretty good. Rest of the world, huh? Like in a, yeah. And that's kind of where that American exceptionalism kind of comes from a bit. of like, cause the, like the definition of American exceptionalism basically is the belief that we as Americans are inherently better than everyone else. 
uh, yeah. in almost a sort of like like a manifest destiny sort of way, like a divine, like, no, we are, we're the best and that's just how it is. And we are going to show you that, uh, in the grandest way possible. Yeah. It's kind of weird. They, they would build up entire cities and structures just for these fairs. And some of that still exists today. Like if you, in San Francisco, like the palace of fine arts, that was originally a, a fair like building. And it looks like this classic pillar, like beautiful thing right right by uh right by the lake. I don't know if you guys have been to there or seen it, but it's and I believe um they've also like in San Francisco. What's the I'm losing it, but the the uh there's an island that they kind of just built out of trash for a fair. It was just like uh. <laughs> they just filled in part of the bay and made an uh, uh it's oh yeah Treasure Island. They just filled it in okay. with 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 uh dirt and everything and made it a whole a whole island and that exists now because of the fair there's there's so much strange stuff all around the world too that was that was created just because of the world fair was coming to town yeah if you it's basically the it's like olympic cities uh, like how those get abandoned <laughs> like if you just google world's fair and just look at like pictures of like this weird tower in japan or something that just sits there now <laughs> and it's just like it's a weird looking art style and you're like oh, like i i was thinking it was like do like I guess World's Fairs don't happen anymore. Like that, that style of World's Fair. I don't know. Like it's weird. Like is that just conventions now? Know. Like what, when would the, like the last proper World's Fair, quote unquote, was? Um, because that was such a thing in like, you know, early 1900s. I I, f- I feel like that was a thing up to like the 30s at least. Beyond that, that's just my own personal Ed Cannon. Uh. Yeah, it's it's just like a weird concept to you know to think back on now. Like, yeah, everybody used to come together and be like, look at what we're doing in our country. This is pretty cool and a lot of weird innovations. And I guess that's just CES now. <laughs> no, everyone shows up and it's like, I got a cool fridge. Yeah, I think it helps that there's the internet now. So if you have a sweet invention, you can be like, all right, here it is on YouTube. Uh, invest in right. my company now, please. Yeah, and have to build Instead this tower. Instead of having to fly. <laughs> fly to one city and have it last for like several months or something yeah i built this whole arena to show you this new phone app that i came up with (laughs) yeah and uh so in in the world of bioshock infinite the american government built columbia a floating city to show off how cool america is and boy did it i don't know did it change everyone's lives yeah, it, it's kind of cool that it's like a traveling World's Fair. Like everyone could kind of just zip up and and see it, right? Yeah, yeah, or just look up in the sky, and be like, "Oh, that's the that's those Americans, those wacky Americans again." <laughs> what one of the coolest things I I like about Colombia, and it like once you step foot in there, um, after after playing some last night, like you you step in to the the first open area and you see like buildings just kind of like floating up and down I like love that. there are there are things like free floating and kind of in that in that 360 ps3 era you didn't really see structures that that would move like that and um kind of kind of shift everything's usually set in place yeah otherwise it's gonna break i still think that's the uh, coolest thing about columbia like you know rapture is amazing and is one of the best settings i feel like columbia is a little under i feel like it doesn't get the same love but in, even though i think it's technically more impressive because like firing back up the uh the hd version and playing a few hours for this 
yeah. like i i was still kind of blown away by it and this game's pushing 10 years old now which also is wild to think about <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah just it's i think it sells its sense of place maybe in some ways better than rapture did uh, right because like rapture you even though everything's leaking and stuff like that there's maybe a few times when you go into a room and you might start to forget that you're underwater where that's it feels less like that in columbia like you see the sky a lot you look out the window you see just clouds and and like you said you just see things floating past <laughs> constantly <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> like the, the the whole everything is put together with uh like little like gasket bridges and like though like every island can kind of connect with each other even if it's just like a little convenience store that can fly from island to island like everything is kind of thought of as interchangeable and movable and it's just a, a super smart way of building that city and also just for for a game design perspective like you could be going anywhere in Colombia at any time based on how things are floating and shifting so you never really know where you're going to be going next yeah and the the way like the ways that everything is connected otherwise like they have the uh do they call them uh skylines yeah skylines the uh yeah so there's there's these tracks that are floating in the air that'll carry like cargo containers or uh there'll be like a like a like a trolley basically where people can ride from uh from island to island uh that you as booker can ride on with like a like a grappling hook type thing um and and ride the rails from island to island and when they were developing that stuff uh ken levine was trying to think of like we're in the air we want to make the uh we want to make some sort of a, a a vertical component to the way that you're moving uh because we have all the, we have all this sky that we could work with and so he played around with like flight and like just flying around kind of, I guess, kind of like Iron Man or like Superman uh, in, in different ways. Um, but he found that just straight up flight wasn't as exciting as something like a roller coaster. And he was always a fan of wooden roller coasters. And you can really feel it as uh, as Booker when you when you grab onto a skyline with this grapple hook and that everything you do on there acts exactly like a roller coaster yeah um if, if you're if you're at like the apex of a of a hill everything's moving super slow and you're just waiting for the descent if you're going down like you are just hurtling towards towards the uh the earth yeah it's it's a it's a very fun experience and i i think they they kind of nailed that yeah that especially because it was skyline <laughs> that thing was reworked so many times it seemed mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i mean there was a time where uh like looking at old concepts of Columbia that the city was connected by tubes, kind of like the way Rapture was. Mm -hmm. And you would be enclosed a lot more. And then that got ditched. And then, like you mentioned, the skyline concept came around. And they used to be, again, it used to be bigger in scope. And they're like the, right. the routes you would take. And then they were kind of scaled back quite a bit to what's in the, in the final game where, you know, you're skating around a bit, but not nearly as much as you were in those like early trailers, which, you know, it's kind of what we thought it would be. Uh, but it, it definitely, cause the idea with Ken was that he wanted 
Columbia. They wanted to take advantage of Columbia space in a way where he felt like rapture, even though it was underwater and it was like a cool setting. He like there's a quote where he said he thought it was a it felt like an art piece because you weren't really interacting with the water that much. You know, there were the times you would explore outside, but that was kind of it. Whereas Columbia, he wanted to actually, from a gameplay perspective, take advantage of like you mentioned the we have all this verticality. What can we do with players? with like hey they're in the sky let's throw them around and like you said there was you know they ditched flight there's like concept art of a jetpack that i guess was pitched early on because uh before they came up with the skyline stuff um but yeah even replaying it now like you're already within the first like hour or two you're doing more with the world itself than you really ever did with rapture you know outside of just look at stuff right yeah i think that was the most striking thing for me um checking it out again for this podcast was like, oh yeah, this is one of the best intros in all of gaming, at least for me. Because you get up there and it's just like, oh, what a, just admire the world. Don't stress out about guys shooting you just yet. <laughs> uh, it's like, a seems like a utopia. You're talking about how like gorgeous it looks with the sky and the, the God rays coming through and the clouds. Everything yes. looks perfect. And then, as you mentioned with with the world's fair vibe, it's like, hey, we're up here having a fair, you know, get a sandwich, uh, play some games. You're like learning about, okay, here's how the controls work. Here's how vigors work and crazy weird little powers that you have um, as part of like a fun fair game. So it's like tutorial, uh, world introduction, lore building, getting you into a false sense of complacency. Yes. And then you get to the, the end of like all these fair games and it's like here's a poster like beware the false prophet or false shepherd and he's got an ad on his hand and you're like (laughs) (laughs) anyone have any gloves for sale yeah Uh, that infuriated me as i play i don't think it hit me the first time i played it was like once you know that that's what they're looking for shouldn't you like be your first order of business is like hands in pocket like there's so many times where he's in public and he's just Woo! Waving his hand around. <laughs> yeah, but I mean that that the first kind of shocking moment is obviously the kind of the lottery thing, right? Where yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're like, "Okay, whoever draws a seventy-seven, uh, you get to you're the big winner." It's like, of course, okay, I got it. And uh, that first choice of it's like, "All right, are you going to throw cast the first stone, or are you going to chuck it at the?" The carnival barker guy. Yeah, because yeah. they bring out like an interracial couple because, surprise, these people are horrible people and, <laughs> among other racist. things, horrible racists. It, it, uh, it was so shocking <laughs> playing through that like today. And I, I had forgotten that that was part of the end. Like, the, the thing I remember about the, like, things going super south in, in Colombia is the first time that you have the uh the skyline hook and it just like grips into a dude's face and just rips it apart which happens like moments after this uh yeah but, after uh, like if you choose to throw it at the guy at the carnival guy they like grab your hand before it gets out yeah and then everyone starts attacking you right yeah it's like yeah. really the and first the- time booker kills anyone in columbia is that grinding that dude's head into the sky hook <laughs> right uh, but like right before that, there's like some real disgusting imagery <laughs> happening on the stage with like very jingoistic, uh, like 
like imagery like they're like super super like racist uh like caricatures of black people uh just like that was uh, i was just like kind of stunned through that whole sequence and i'm like i understand what you're doing here i know this is all for like shock to show that the the people who are running this place are super terrible but like I, I don't see people going that far these days to, uh, to, to, sh yeah, to show people's like evil in, in games, at least for, for games that I've been playing recently. Yeah. I guess cause like, you know, if we're going to get into this now, it's, um, mm. cause I remember the time being like, whoa. And, you know, I remembered it this time. So I was ready, but it wasn't like, I remember the time not being like upset or anything because I took it as like, well, I guess this is a period piece, right? Like this is 1912. R right. This it's, is it's exactly that, what that is going on <laughs> at this time. Yes. And there are certainly people or were people like that and, you know, still are to some degree. Uh, so it, in my mind, I think that's how I kind of rationalize that. Well, no, it makes sense that this would still be an attitude up here because this is like some of the worst people in America saying we're going to go do our own thing up here you know, yeah. away from the government, away from prying eyes. And, uh, you know, it's got this theological slant too to it to mm -hmm. really make it worse of like, hey, it's our divine right to treat people like this because we're the white man and stuff. Uh, yeah. Like, just the worst of that. So, like, I got it from the sense of like, yeah, we're trying to establish that Comstock and his dudes, like, super suck and you shouldn't like these guys um, mm -hmm. in a way that historically lines up. Uh, but yeah, I, I guess it's always weird, at least for me, I'm black, <laughs> you know, in case you don't know. And people were asking me like, does it bother you? What do you, what's your take on this? That kind of thing. Uh, and I like, I mean, I wasn't like offended. It was just like, yeah, that makes sense. It's, it's upsetting, but in a way, I guess it's supposed to be, cause it's not long after that you go find the, like the room that has the sort of like KKK equivalent guys with the like yeah. demonic in, in Madrid of Lincoln, uh, with like <laughs> Comstock presented as like the savior and stuff, he's like he's gonna protect you, us from Lincoln. You walk into the place, there's a big statue to John Wilkes Booth. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> and you're yeah, just like, wow, dude. we're going for it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like, was it a bit much? A bit, yeah. But like everything in that game, it's it, it's like amplified to like the tenth degree, I guess. Well, like everything up to that point is like, uh, do you do you have, um. Do you have reservations about like religious zealotry and and whatnot? Like that's that's where like the that that's where like the pressure is boiling a little bit. But like everywhere else in the world, it's like people are are happy. They're going about their days. They're getting excited for this festival. And then like the the first thing that you do after like you join in on this festival is like this this huge like racist display is is very impactful and it's 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 just kind of a huge punch to the face yeah um it's it's different from rapture in the sense that like columbia and bioshock infinite in general like the monsters are more human beings whereas like bioshock you know yes andrew ryan and frank fontaine were not great people but most yeah. of the people you encounter were like monsters for lack of a better term right like right splicers yeah. big daddies like those are easy, like, oh, yeah, I don't want to deal with those. But here, everyone is just a person, and they're just yeah. awful. <laughs> and yes, it's... Yeah, I I think it's what helps, too, what makes it feel way different, too, is in, in Rapture, you're killing, obviously, the splicers, but it's, like, all in very... pretty dark, right? Yeah. Uh, 
Whereas this one, the first kill you do is like bright sunlight, a guy's head explodes, it's just like cherry red blood all up in your face. Uh, I think just, yeah, with with the lighting and just the way the game is, it's just like feels very a lot more like visceral and gory for sure right but in a way satisfying not that i'm condoning murder or anything like that but like (laughs) they made me hate that carnival barker more than i hated any splicer either game because like you don't really hate the split they're more like well they're trying to kill me so it's me or them you know i don't have anything against these guys (laughs) uh where you're like a lot of ways they're just like you know addicts right yeah but at the end of the day just addicts and you're like this sucks for you you'll maybe you pitied him to a degree um but with like these people you're like no screw this guy <laughs> like i'm gonna throw this baseball right in his face yeah and everyone uh, here that is like on board with what's happening right now the mess up part is that they give you the choice uh to either throw it at the couple or at the car yeah i've never I've, I've, I'm, of course i've never thrown it at the couple. i don't know what happens yeah. or what changes in any way i would imagine not much i, I think oh. it's the same thing they still catch your hand it's they they notice the ad yeah it's not hand oh, okay it's, that's the thing that really like, yeah you have to live you have to stew with your personal choice there yeah more more than the game actually like and that kind of condemning you yeah and that kind of speaks to a little bit of like ken's direction with infinite of wanting it to be a bit more character driven in general mm. which is why you know this is the first bioshock where the protagonist is a fully fleshed out character and not a silent guy or a big daddy like you like booker dewitt is a is a guy who talks who has a a backstory that has his own sort of uh arc and you know and with elizabeth <laughs> who is yeah really the star of the game intentionally and just like i at least for me she is my favorite thing in this game i i love her as a character um mm-hmm. i don't know what you guys think about elizabeth she has like her creation and how she came to be is pretty fascinating of like all the different iterations of her both the ones that you know we saw publicly and even stuff behind the scenes of you know originally she was aged like they, they seem they had the basic story of what they wanted to do with her laid out pretty early but in terms of the forms that would take, like there's like a version of her where she was like too young, like around 17 or like, oh, cause I think she's like, what, like 19 or 20 in the main game, something like that. Um, yeah. That's right. <laughs> and uh, there's like one where she has this, like, she looks like way older where she's like, I forget what they, they had a nickname for her, but she almost looks like this sort of like aristocrat, like Victorian London looking lady. <laughs> there's some concept art of her out there. You're like, oh, okay. And that she would just kind of, not worry around but sort of like dictate what you were doing a lot in the game before they scrapped that um before they uh got uh what's the actress name i just blanked on her uh courtney 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 draper Draper, yes yeah and then of course booker is uh the the famous video game voice actor troy baker Troy Baker, yep. which also, uh, by the way, this was a big year for Troy Baker because he did. Cause <laughs> he he had, the new Nolan North after this year. Yeah, this was, was kind of his breakout year, it feels like, because he had this, he had uh, The Last of Us is Droll, and then he had the Joker in Arkham Origins. All right. He was all over the place this year. Yeah, he killed it. I think for me, and maybe it's more of a uh, a widely held opinion, but Liz was nice because she was, you know, a obviously good character like great for story development you're not just like by yourself talking to yourself or and you still do some radio chatter but it's not just, you're like in person talking to someone mm-hmm. uh b 
She didn't need any babysitting whatsoever. You didn't have to worry about her getting killed. So it wasn't like that escort mission thing where that everyone hates. Yeah, they even give you that prompt uh, like early when you get her. They straight up saying to scream like, don't worry about Elizabeth. She can take care of herself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then it eventually comes to light where, you know, she can pull in tears and enhance the combat in a cool way. But you still have full control over it. And she throws you all kinds of goodies from around the world. So she's useful in all the all the good ways and not not a pain in in any other way that a lot of AI characters are. So she was extremely well realized. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Levine wanted her to be kind of like uh, Alex Vance from Half-Life. Um, that that was that that partner, that character that didn't really get into things like you were. You didn't have to babysit them. They would they would enhance what you were doing. Um yeah, Elizabeth's really great, and I, I'm sure it was a huge, huge challenge for the team to make it so she felt like a real person. Uh, there's, like, interviews with Levine. Of course he's going to be saying that, like, oh, like, there were so many times that I felt like she was real while I was playing. It's like, of course you're going to be saying that. You are the director of this game. <laughs> that is your goal to sell this thing. But, uh, yeah, she she is a character that you end up caring about deeply, Um by by the end of it and yeah and a lot of it is those little moments um like i remember at the time thinking that she might be the best like ai partner ever in a video game like even yeah. even more so than alex vance was just because like and replaying it remembering things like just going into a store and just like having that freedom to explore and not have to worry about like feeling tethered to her because she's gonna do her own thing but you find yourself just watching her because she'll just you know she'll be hunched over something reading or like looking at it, especially in the beginning when she's still that kind of wide-eyed, like Disney I'm princess out of her tower. Yeah, like straight up Disney princess. <laughs> so like <laughs> I've never seen the world before. I you know I want to be where the people are. That kind of thing. And she's like, wow, what is this? What's this? You know that playful attitude, and it's like endearing to watch. And she's calling you over, and she's like, oh, come look at this. And you know you don't have to if you don't want to, but you know I find myself like, yeah, I'll humor you. Like we need to be going, but I'll look at this weird arcade machine or whatever yeah. like that went a long way to making me and i think a lot of players feel attached to her and making her feel like a feel more like a person and not just an NPC, which is what ken wanted and he's been in those interviews talking about how he just his he had a great point we're saying like a lot of people tune out of video game npc dialogue because one almost every time to this day the moment they stop talking an objective marker appears so you don't need mm -hmm. to listen to them because they're going to tell you what they said anyway, just by like, here's the thing on the map that they said, go do. So it doesn't matter what they said. Uh, yeah. And, you know, on top of just a lot of them behaving so robotically where, you know, you know, you're part of your brain. It just you realize like this person's not real. I just don't care because they're just they're not acting in a way that feels human. So I can't warm up to them. And wanting to address that with elizabeth and even some like you know a lot of the npcs still behave like npcs but even they feel at least at the time a little bit of a step above from like most npcs like just watching the random citizens just kind of go about their day or they have like incidental dialogue of like you passing by or like booker saying something to them or them saying something to you about what you're doing uh and stuff especially in the beginning before they realize who you are uh and like i think that went a long way in making that game feel like making Columbia in general feel more like a world because you know the other big difference between that and Rapture is that it's not a dystopia you're there when it's still a fully functional society and you're the one that's causing right. all the chaos I think 
one of the best things about her is that as a player, you're kind of like, oh, okay, I think she's the good guy. And more and more, your own character you've been controlling the whole time, you're like, ah, oh, he's the more visions you have or the more actions he takes. Uh, like, I probably the most notable is when they first get on the, the airship. And it's like, she's like, all right, time to hightail it to Paris. We're out of here. Everything's great. And he's like, deet, deet, deet. she's like, wait a second. What are these coordinates? Are you taking us to New York? And he's like, I mean, I, I just, I, it was part of the deal. And she, so you realize it kind of helps you disconnect is like, oh, wow. Liz is great. Uh, Booker, the guy that I, that I'm handling is maybe not the best dude. And it's just kind of planting that seed was, was super nice. Yeah, I was going to ask um, like what you guys think of Booker in general, just as a character, because he is a guy that, like, because his whole deal is that he's trying to rescue Elizabeth to pay a debt. Whether he is a good person or not, you kind of is up to you. There, he, right. like, I, like, I don't like dislike him necessarily, but like, I, I kind of like that he's kind of in that shades of gray a little bit, and that he, I mean, he's very singular minded of like, this is my mission. I'm really not here. I'm not here to try to solve these people's problems or like this weird civil war that I've got in the middle of. I like, I don't care and he shouldn't care. <laughs> um, but like, like even the, like to go back to the, like the race stuff, there's like the moment you get Elizabeth and you go by the bathrooms and she comments of like, why are there colored and white? Like why? Why are there colored bathrooms and white bathrooms? And he just says, it's just this like, and I'm not saying either way, like, you're kind of left to wonder, like, is he, like, down for that or is he not? And there are choices, like, again, if you choose to, like, not pelt that interracial couple, you'll meet them later and they'll help you out. Uh, right. Give you, like, an upgrade or something. Uh, but I kind there's a part of me that, like, I kind of like that you don't really know what, like, where he stands morally outside of what he's trying to accomplish. And that he seems like he's decent enough as a person. Like, he doesn't treat Elizabeth like crap. He lies to her, but it's, yeah. you know, it's also because he doesn't really know her and he doesn't really, and he also underestimates her because she's been sheltered for so long. He thinks he can get away with stuff and then realizes that she's a lot smarter than she maybe lets on. I don't know. I I think he's like, I think he's interesting. You know, I think there's some depth to him that maybe he doesn't quite get some credit for. Yeah, yeah. it helps re reestablish their relationship when they're like, they have that split and he's like, Okay, sorry, I, I won't I won't lie to you again. Like, you know, I realized that was that was my original mission and I was being a jerk, but he's kind of like more coming clean and like you feel that loss when she's gone of like okay, I can't use all these cool tear moves in combat anymore, which become, you know, more and more handy as time goes by. Yeah. And then when you kind of come back together, she realizes like Booker's kind of true nature and loses a lot of naivete i think after that incident and they both are like we know what this is what this relationship is now like we're not gonna pretend but i think he kind of edges she gets harder from the original naive princess and he kind of nudges more towards i guess kind of a good alignment yeah after some of that he kind of was like you know my relationship with liz elizabeth is probably more important than my original crappy mission yeah for some other reasons we'll get into later as well <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 like a, a lot of a lot of bookers i mean a lot of how how booker is 
is kind of wrapped up in both his past and and his future. Like, I mean, we'll get into the future stuff later, but like he was he was part of he was a Pinkerton. Like there he has a lot of weird nuances to his past where it's like, ah, this guy could be real bad. He could be he could be all right. Like it, it depends on like what what is his debt? Like what is, what does he actually want out of the the dealings that he's making that that brought him to uh to Columbia. But yeah, like like exactly like both well, like what both of you are saying. Like it is a lot it is pretty ambiguous. He does show his true colors to Elizabeth or at least what what he's there for and and how their relationship changes that way. But I, I feel like a lot of what Booker is is more so in the in in like the the big reveal that happens later um because it it could be many different versions of booker um it's it's kind of up to you and just before we go too far from their relationship too one of my favorite little tiny things they did is like they never show like a zoom in shot of elizabeth well maybe they do maybe i missed it but they don't make a big deal about like hey what's up with her missing pinky you know, it's just kind of like maybe if you happen to notice it, you would have seen it. And then at some point she kind of brings it up. It's like, hey, you want to ask about my my stubby pinky? Like, why is my finger gone? I'm just and wearing like, a thimble for fun. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> he's like, what happened? And she's like, I don't know. It's just not there. And they're like, OK, cool. So it's kind of something where like I kind of, you know, had forgotten about that a little bit when I got to that part. And I was like, oh, yeah. And then you kind of like try to like get a better look at it and stuff. You're like, oh yeah, that's just like a, a weird little touch where I think a lot of, maybe another games would have kind of made like a big deal out of it. Like the moment she appeared on screen or something, but it was kind of a yeah. subtle touch for me. To me, it was the thing of, um, I, cause I noticed it immediately. Cause she, I think when the first time you meet her, she's like in your face, like, who are you? And she kind of puts her hand in front of you to like hit you or whatever. And you, it, it's prominent, but I think, I know what to look for now is the, I mentioned this like replaying Bioshock, like now that you know the twist, you hear would you kindly so many times mm -hmm. now because you know the listen for it. Um, it's yeah. the same thing here, like knowing that that is a huge plot element and like finding myself subconsciously like looking for it and seeing like how many times did they like flashes in front of the player uh, yeah. and then having it stand out a lot more than it maybe did the first time around. I don't even remember if I really noticed it that often when I first played it. Um, but yeah, it's it's wild. Um I think the to go back to the development history, I think yeah. what's wild about this game, not surprising but still wild, is that I feel like you could almost copy everything we said about the making of Bioshock One and paste it into Infinite and then yeah. maybe dial the volume up to about an eleven <laughs> because this game was uh I feel like ambitious almost maybe undersells what they were going for with this just of how how much they wanted to do how long it took how slowly mm. it came together how much was wasted in the process yeah like and like how much like you know a lot of crunch a lot of turnover a lot of a, a lot of bloat too in terms of like them staffing up to compensate with people regularly leaving because of how rough the development of this game was even more so than Bioshock one and like convincing 2k to hire on more people to make a multiplayer mode that wasn't actually going to be in the game. Oh yeah. That was just, 
Uh, like I have, so, a, I have a whole list of things that just did not make the game. It, uh, it, it puts the original Bioshock into. I like I, I don't understand how the original Bioshock was finished. After hearing like quotes from Rod Ferguson, who who later joined the team to help close out the uh, the development of it. Yeah, him and, and uh, it, Don Roy was another guy. And Don Roy, like a, yeah, unknown like he's a fixer. He's gonna come in and get. Yeah, <laughs> get they brought this in together. Two, two fixers <laughs> to uh, to close out this game, and from what it sounded like, they they were just different parts of the company were making pieces for it, and other parts weren't using those pieces that that were being made. And Ken Levine kept on changing his mind for things. And once again, uh, the, the creative mind wasn't communicating properly to the rest of the team. And they were just wasting time, money, resources, and nothing was actually getting made. Um, even up until like, once again, like the year before the game was supposed to release, uh, they, they had so many things up in the air. They... The, the first public showing of this was in uh, 2010. It was like a stage presentation and they showed off like Elizabeth. Uh, I believe they showed off the the time and space riffs as well. Yeah, it's, and, you can find it on YouTube. Columbia. Yeah, because they released it to the public like a month after they showed it to the press. And that was the yeah. I remember rewatching for this and there were things that I'd forgotten because that's when like Elizabeth's powers are a little bit more magical in nature where right. it was like. She's like summoning storms and like making it rain on enemies, and you would strike them with lightning to like electrocute a bunch of dudes. And there's like a moment where she's like Magneto and <laughs> putting a bunch of pots <laughs> together and welding them into a fireball, and like all this stuff that does not exist in the game. It's like, oh wow, like I completely forgot that this what this game first looked like. Uh, but yeah, like the the studio wasn't even solidified on spe like specifics like Columbia or Elizabeth until they were actually like shown publicly. And they're like, then we like, now we have to, we have to stick, we have to stick with these specific things because we've shown them and kind of start building stuff around it. Yeah. Um, like it was almost like kind of a relief after that demo. Yeah. Like now we, now Ken can't change his mind. We have to basically do this. <laughs> Uh, I mean, really, Ken could, but and it's, he did. It's smart that he and he did, but yeah. not. Yeah, there, there, at least there were some things that stuck that they could actually try to build a world and a story around. Yeah, because after that demo, we really didn't hear much about the game until E3 in 2011, where it had that big. I think probably the demo that most people remember that 15 minute. I think it was it was on Sony stage, and that's where you kind of get the walkthrough with Elizabeth and getting to see her terrors for the first time. Um, probably the most famous scene from this is where she opens up and you see the, the 80s movie theater with Re Revenge of the Jedi on the marquee, and that's when people are like, whoa, what is, what's that all about? What is she doing? You know, she saves the horse, all that stuff. And, uh, and again, that was like, after the game had been kind of quiet, after 2010, everyone's like, whoa, okay, we're back, baby. <laughs> this is, <laughs> is going to be, this is Bioshock Infinite. And they were like, yeah, that's coming out 2012. And they did a whole press cycle. Like, you know, this was a few months after, you know, GI had it on uh, the cover. It was October 2010 that it was there. So, like, we knew the basics of, like, you know, the story and Songbird and, you know, who we haven't talked about yet. <laughs> and Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, the and, the, and the premise and... It was through much throughout that entire summer in 2011 that it was getting shown a bit more and more, so it started to feel like more real. <laughs> the game, right? Um, 
you know, there's a developer diary and like that in November. And we were learning that was when we found out that Troy Baker and Courtney Draper were involved. And it got a showing at the VGAs. And then 2012 is where it kind of started getting pretty rough uh, in terms of things being announced that didn't happen. There was the uh, I I didn't even remember hearing about this, but it was around this time that Ken said there was going to be like that 1999 difficulty mode. Do you guys remember that? Yeah. I found I dug an old preview that yeah. Jeff Cork wrote, and I found like Kotaka wrote a huge thing about it. It's basically going to be like a retro mode where you would be locked into like a class. So you had multiple classes you would choose from, and once you picked one, you were stuck with it. And you know, if you died, it was just game over. You're done if you didn't have health packs. Like he was basically like, "Yeah, it's going to be like this is for the hardcore players out there. This is going to be a fun mode." And that didn't make it into the final game, despite uh, seemingly pretty pretty far along um, well i think a version of the 1999 mode made it but i don't i think they scrapped all the classes and things like that oh okay. but there's just there's just like an extra hard and it's it's called 99 mode as well so uh an extra hard thing made it into the game i think you have to beat the game first gotcha. to unlock it is it just the vita chambers don't work I, I, I forget. I, I know that you have like way le- like less resources and enemies yeah. are harder to kill and I think yeah, it's it's uh not as generous with checkpoints and things as well. But gotcha. uh, I don't think it's like permadeath you start the entire game over type of thing. But yeah, yeah. It's That'd be rough. Okay. It it made it somehow, but not quite I as mean- crazy as like wildly different than the main game would have been i don't know i don't understand how they would do classes aren't there only like there's only a handful of vigors there's only like a handful of guns it was like you, you would just be locked up, into but... a certain gun like if there's oh, okay. like a pistol class and all you could use those pistols or you were best at pistols was more or less what it was described as got um, it um yeah it was... wild with all like the with the gear too that changes all your you know right. gives you perks and stats so like Getting that all to mesh would have been tricky, too. That's something I forgot about before playing last night was like, oh, yeah, there's there's different gear that you, there's clothing that you get that you're wearing that gives you like your your melee attacks will light people on fire. There there's there's a bunch of stuff I forgot about this. There's uh, I mean, there's what, five different versions of like. I guess the equivalent to a big daddy or like the the more advanced like the uh, enemies. The handyman, the uh, the the rope, the clockwork patriot, or whatever. Yeah, the, yeah, the uh, mecha, mecha George Washington. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> just had, like, yeah, because that was something guns. Ken uh, he talked about in I think the behind the scenes video that he wanted like a wider class of enemies because he felt Bioshocks was pretty limited. Cause it's pretty much just splicers and big daddies, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. those games were infinite has like the 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 silent the sons of silence those weird horn yeah. guys are kind of creepy you guys... there's the siren who like resurrects dead enemies yeah for whatever reason or at least the there's one like, there was supposed to be the crow oh there's like a crow guy yeah that, the... like turns into crows and warps over and yep yeah yeah there's and you fight quite a bit of them uh within the first few hours like they mm-hmm. don't really hold them back which is kind of nice actually um so yeah like all that like that kind of was the story of this game right like so many ideas and like just bloat almost and trying to figure out what to keep and also ken constantly changing his mind it was around like 2012 that uh apparently a lot of veterans staff started to leave the studio yeah because they didn't want to deal with with all of his 
uh, like changing of his mind and, and shifting what they were doing. Like it just wasn't worth all the, all the hard work that they were doing or like the long hours that, that these new ideas uh, would take to implement. Yeah. There's a great quote from Roy from that uh, Schreier book where he says a tremendous amount of work had been done. And this is around when he came in and was kind of scoping things out. And he said, it just hadn't been stood up as a game in any particular form to the point where the first thing I said was, can I play a build of the game? And the answer was no. They told me, you can play these pieces of things, but there's no actual functioning game. And this was around March 2012, and the game in May was gonna uh, got its February 26 release date. So to say that we don't have a functional game less than a year than it's supposed to come out is uh, terrifying <laughs> and was the cause of a lot of stress, which would explain. And then at the same time, people just piecing out, saying like, no, nah, I'm, I'm done. Thanks, but no thanks. I'm out of here. So kind of the solution to that was just to basically keep staffing up like they were hiring like crazy around this time to the point where like by the end of the year, Irrational was around like 200 employees, which is wild to think about. Just I've always in my mind, I always envisioned that team being sort of like midsize. There was uh, around like August was when Rod Ferguson came on to try to further help out. Uh, get the game out the door but at the same time things just kept happening they like in terms of just either footage being shown or just weird little deals like like a dark horse comics deal for the game mm. that i don't even or like an art book that did happen uh and then it was around the end of the year in october where they put that uh countdown on their facebook for that most recent trailer to beast of america trailer which was the first sort of like in engine like all right here's what it looks like right now that is more or less what the game ended up being at that point. Um, but then around the end of the year, that's when it got delayed about a month to March 26th, which would be the final release date. Uh, and that's, again, this is when the staff was at its biggest, just employee wise. Um, but you know, the game went gold that February and it mm. launched that March and everyone loved it. <laughs> it turns out, <laughs> Despite uh, hell and high water, it, like, again, mirroring that first Bioshock, and it just, and, like, going, like, talking about Ken Levine and all that stuff like that, sort of, like, the criticism and, like, his biggest strength and weakness is that, you know, he's even said, admittedly, like, his best work is when he's, like, when he has to finish it, like, when his, like, yeah. deadline is closing, and, like, no, you cannot keep coming up with stuff, you just have to finish it, and he's like, yeah, okay, I guess I'll do that, but, you know the people that work with him criticize like that's great when you're just like maybe drawing on a piece of paper <laughs> not so yeah. much when it involves it's, people it seems like it seems like people should give him deadlines to work with yeah or maybe enforce them a little better because <laughs> not like he did it's, it's tricky you got you've got an on our tour uh who's like well, if we don't get it done what are you gonna do you're not gonna can the game you're not gonna get rid of me <laughs> right like, i mean he's almost gleeful think... about it he had a, a quote with Eurogamer. Uh, around a time where he admitted like, yeah, almost every game I've worked on, they've all been, he much been like, and saying that, yeah, you just kind of dick around for a long time <laughs> until you have to finish it. I, I think it's a relatively common thing, you know, like famously probably like George R. R. Martin is, <laughs> is the poster child for this. Yeah. But I don't know if you guys watch the, the Beatles get back where they're oh, just yeah. like, yeah, let's just, let's just do an entire album out of thin air in a couple, in a, you know, a few weeks. And there's many, quotes during the whole thing where they're like 
you know, we're always at our best when the, our back's up against the wall, you know, like they kind of thrive on the, on the pressure of it. So yeah. But yeah. It's, it's different when you're just, I guess, four guys making music versus like a huge team that, you know, there's a lot, a lot of moving parts. Yeah. I guess. Like you're leading, you're a, the leader of a team that is waiting for you to say, what do we need to do? Please like give me a hard answer. Like yeah. uh, the press reset had a quote from when uh, the producer, Joe Falstick saying, this is not meant as an insult, but I believe he's a better editor than an author <laughs> saying he's not the best off on the Blake page. If he's in a situation where he doesn't know what he wants yet, he's not always the best to work with, which pretty much sounds about right. Like, yeah. One of the developers uh, straight up said he's a terrible leader. <laughs> uh, Mike Snight in the same book saying like, you know, he's but saying that he would be the first to tell you that he's not a good leader. Um, it's it's wild. But again, it's it's weird because like, you know, crunch is a lot more of a known thing today. And it mm -hmm. seems like uh, studios are getting better about that purely because if nothing else, people are willing to talk about it more. So you don't want to be that that big expose story about how you ran your employees into the ground, which I mean, that shouldn't be the reason <laughs> you don't do it. You should be like, I don't want to kill my people, but you know, regardless, but at the same time, it's like, then the game came out and it's awesome. So you almost feel bad for like rewarding it. Right. Cause like, yeah. it, it came out and got like, I mean, it scored a perfect 10 from us and a bunch of other outlets. Uh, Cause the game is great. I mean, or at least I believe the game is great. I think, we're all kind of on the same page that we all <laughs> generally are yeah. more favorable in the game. Again, this game has got mixed opinions, but it's, I, I mean, and then everything that came after it, which is the other wild thing. Cause you know, it came out sold really well, like upset, like it sold great, a critical, like literally, like I said, copy paste the success of the first Bioshock to this and, and amplify it. That is Bioshock infinite. And then it would it would be around a year later that uh, Levine would kind of voluntarily close Irrational Games, or or maybe like I think he used a different term for it, it was like restructuring. But he you know he laid off like ninety percent of the staff. It was like <laughs> he only kept like twelve 15, people or sixteen something people. Like or that. Something. Yeah, it was it was a very small amount from like the over two hundred that were on the staff. Yeah, before because the idea yeah. was that he wanted to refocus and get back to his roots of like working on smaller projects with a smaller team. So, and and to his credit, you know, Irrational had like a bunch of career days and tried to find jobs for most of its staff, and I think mm. they were mostly successful with that. Uh, it's still a w weird story, even these years later because you're so used to studios closing against their will like the idea of like a successful developer like nah i'm just I'm just done with this I'm just gonna right. i'm gonna get rid of some, a bunch of you to keep my inner circle and we're gonna go do our own thing like it's and they've done there what since then narrative lego i don't think have they announced any projects not no. officially they've given vague ideas they, of what they, they opened up a on. YouTube channel and put all their Bioshock trailers on it. Yeah, so I, I want to say there's been stuff that's come out over the years of they're working on like another sci-fi shooter thing, like right. maybe Ken getting back to his System Shock roots a little bit. Uh, but yeah, there's never there still has yet to be a formal announcement. The most recent thing we've heard about it was that story that came out uh like late last year uh, about 
apparently ghost story having its own internal problems pretty much history repeating itself of people leaving the studio because ken being difficult to work with and not you know changing his mind all the time that kind of stuff apparently half of the original founders aren't even there anymore uh so yeah it seems like whatever they're working on given how long it's been and you look back at like infinite it seems like the same song and dance again might be happening over there which give, is give that man a deadline this <laughs> is unfortunate if true i mean who knows and it, you know it's been eight years and that game still sounds like it's years away based on the stuff that's come out but yeah we yeah we just we just don't know we don't know what's oh. going on over there yeah but i i think everyone is like whenever you guys announce something or show a trailer we're all we're all here for it Yes, we Definitely are all here. Excited to see what you do. Yeah. Um, I think it was interesting too that they kept the team together enough to produce and release Burial at Sea. Yeah, yeah. Because it, <laughs> it took a while for that to that to come out. I mean, it was was it November of that year that the first one came out, and then the other one, I think, was ended up being out around. Like a year almost from the release of the original game. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah, that's uh, correct. Pretty much. Yeah. In fact, episode two dropped like technically after Irrational Dissolve. Uh, really? So it was just like, we're just going to. It was like, it's like it's roll done. It out. It's, it's going through uh, certification. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's there. Uh, and I guess it would just be supported by 2K yeah. itself. Yeah. I mean,. Marin had helped out with with Infinite quite a bit in in its technical aspects, so uh, I'm sure they were a large part in like the support for that. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, talking about Barrel at Sea, and we talked about uh, a decent amount of uh, Bioshock's uh, Infinite's plot is in general. I think the only thing we didn't really touch on was sort of the uh, multi-dimensional aspect of the story, um, like basically the idea that you're jumping through alternate realities and that, you know, Booker himself is and the villain Comstock are the same person, just different versions of them from different timelines. And that Elizabeth is your daughter, but also maybe from a different timeline. (laughs) Um, But you're all technically the same blood and person. And Uh, the the people that you've been seeing over and over throughout (laughs) your your adventure have been like testing to see if you are like the right variable of booker to change the timeline yeah the uh the lutesses yeah the uh, lutesses yep they were pretty great yeah it was like there were 122 previous bookers that they tried to pull in to get this done and uh it just kept he just kept dying or just not working out. Yeah. So, that's why they give or, you, or creating 123rd time like, is a charm. Yeah. That's why they give you those <laughs> weird little tests. Every time you meet them, flipping the coin and, which yeah. Is, yeah, there was the whole concept of variables and constants where it's like certain things are constant across all these universe, all these dimensions. Like the coin flip is always going to be heads or something. Yeah. And then there's, uh, and then, then there's the variables, which is, like the weird little differences between each one. And it's, I thought it was so cool how they just show little peaks of all that, especially when um, Elizabeth starts figuring out her tear abilities where it's like, oh man, this, uh, 
this weapons dealer creator that we were supposed to find is already dead as our mission totally screwed and then Lutessas are like well you could try this other dimension where there's where he's still alive and then when you do go like it's like well I guess let's try it you know we can never really go back to this not necessarily easy to find this original world we were running around in and you go in there and he's he's alive but he's all just messed up because he's got the weird memories of being dead like it's just really cool how they how they how they did that. Yeah, and it's Scrooge again going back to it, knowing it. You realize that like, a lot of those hints were right there in the beginning. Like even in the boat ride at the start, there's lines where like you know you climb the ladder and they mention like, oh yeah, he always does this, and you're like, what? Like uh, what? What does that even mean? <laughs> like we just met. Yeah. At least ostensibly, we <laughs> this is our first meeting, right? Yeah. What does that even mean? And you get yeah, like there, there's so much stuff like, uh, pointing to what the I guess twist or twist plural are gonna be that are so clear in the beginning that you're almost wondering like how did i not pick up on this well, like you you <laughs> kind of you kind of do like some of the things that they're saying is weird or like them showing up uh in during the places during the fair and like doing the coin flipping thing and they're like oh it's it's always like it's always heads or like why i i i thought it'd be different that time and you see like his all of his markings for how many times you've you've gotten heads uh, throughout the the different variables of of bookers uh, that have existed, like those things are pointing towards like something weird is happening, and it's it's more apparent than than like would you kindly was, um, but it also makes you intrigued like seeing that and then learning about like the rifts and stuff and uh, Elizabeth's powers, and then you eventually learning about the, the different timelines and uh, how this how every world is connected in some way. Like, the, the constants are that there's always a man, a lighthouse, and a city. Right. Um, <laughs> like, and then you start digging deeper. Like, oh, is Booker the same as Jack? Are they the same person? Um, or is, is it always a Booker... <laughs> in every world like is rapture the same as columbia like yeah it's, it's wild that first time you see you walk out and see all the lighthouses and yes every star is a different uh dimension and you see like other bookers and elizabeth's just like walking around and the dock is building itself in front of them yeah uh it's wild I love and just it. <laughs> the whole the whole thing where you're just like violently killing Comstock and you're like I got a feeling this is not he's like and you start bleeding and you're like uh oh we know what that means <laughs> uh but it was it was cool it was just like I have to kill Comstock even if it's me right and he's willing to go through that where I the the baptism is the dividing line whether this person be continues to go like he rejects the baptism and continues to go in the booker path or accepts it and gets kind of radicalized and becomes Zachary Comstock. And the fact that they figure out like, well, you know, if you're really willing to do this, uh, what we need to do is go back to right before the baptism and kill you with like <laughs> eight Elizabeths have to drown and kill you uh, before the choice is even made to prevent the existence of either Booker or Comstock or Columbia and just end it all. Yeah. 
it's just like a haunting scene of all these Elizabeths pushing you underwater and just seeing their faces blurred out. And there's that, that pan out of just all of them looking down into the water after you're, after you Booker has died and they just like zip out of existence one in another indicating uh, that your mission has succeeded. Yeah. It's weird. Cause uh, a lot of people have criticized this ending for being confusing. And some people said it didn't make sense, which I, I get it is a wild uh-huh. ending. And there's a part of me, and this is purely my own opinion. I wonder if this, if this game came out today, if it would be easier to grasp. Cause I feel like superhero movies, namely Marvel, have eased people into the concept of a multiverse in a way where I wonder if people, the average player would be more like, oh, I know what this, I know what this is, or I, I get what's happening here, and this is kind of cool. I don't know. There's a part of my brain that makes me think that people would be more, or at the very least would grasp it a bit better. Is that weird? Is yeah. that just me? No, no, no that's, you that's see when things like Tenet comes out, people were very, it was very mixed on that too, where some people were like, I love what they're doing with all this weird time stuff. And then there's other people who are like, I don't understand what the heck's going on. And I don't like that. It just seems like, it seems like uh, when you kind of go into that realm, there's, there's, there's going to be people who are more, more open to it and more, some that are more closed off. Yeah. At least from, at least from my from my guess. Yeah. To be fair, I I'm a nerd for this stuff and even I was a little like, "What? In tenant? <laughs> like what's happening?" Oh, sure. He's like, "So he's catching things." Uh I don't I don't necessarily mind not understanding things um on first viewing. Mm-hmm. I personally enjoy like, "All right, I'm going to go on YouTube afterwards and like when that's and just like tech tell it to me like I'm a, you know, a little kid like explain yeah. explain exactly what what I just saw." Yeah. And then be like, "Oh, okay." If I was extra smart, I could have I could have pulled all that out too. <laughs> yeah. There's so much stuff that's happening. Like I'm a big fan of One Piece, and like there's a really big chapter that just happened that had this big, uh, kind of story changing moment that like recontextualizes everything in the series. Uh, all like a hundred one thousand forty chapters of it, and uh, like I I am the same guy. I'm just like going online, seeing people's theories and seeing explanations, and because I'm not gonna be able to remember every little piece of that story and how it connects in specific ways. Um, but I do appreciate stories like that, that make you look back and that make you revisit uh, that book, movie, game, whatever it is. Um, that's a cool way to get you to replay this game and see all that stuff again. Yeah. Was the was the twist that there were actually two pieces the whole time? Oh, there were two pieces. <laughs> oh no. Now we gotta write another thousand mango <laughs> logs or whatever how long should be, that thing should is be now. over in five years now, so we're we're counting down the days of one piece. Yeah. Yeah. I think Well, uh, I, I I thought it was cool. Um I don't know how I either I missed Burial at Sea or it came out in pieces and I was like Oh, I'll wait till the whole thing's out before I play it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But somehow I never, I never, it kind of just, maybe other games the year later were coming out and I was just like, oh, I'll get to that later and just never got to it. I rechecked it out for this, but I don't know. If, did you guys have experience with the DLC? No, I wanted to check it out for this, but just time got away. But I did look up like what happens and that you're, you know, it's like another version of, booker and elizabeth and it's like a noir 
mystery thing and rapture and that you're trying to find like like or at least in the first episode you're trying to find a girl named sally because elizabeth who or like a version of elizabeth that's sort of this like sort of like femme fatale kind of style mm. character like really different from what she is in the main game and you know you're still booker but sort of a private eye and you're just trying to find this girl and that spirals into a a mystery that basically wraps around to bioshock one because you're you're, event, you meet Frank Fontaine's, you find out that he has this girl who has been turned into a little sister, and it is post the Civil War, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong at any point, please, Brian, because <laughs> <laughs> I remember reading this thing and thinking it was wild, in that you basically make a deal with him to help get his his people and himself back into the city. And he reneges in that deal when you get it done because you like his part of the city is like collapsed from rapture and you basically float it back up using technology from Columbia. And then he like the game ends with like him killing Elizabeth, but not before she gets a vision of Jack and everything. Oh, because you're because he wants you to get the passcode that is the would you kindly code and bring it to him because he wants to activate Jack and kick off Bioshock 1. Like that is like your mission for him. It's like go get that passphrase for my secret assassin on the surface. And you do that for him. And he's like, thanks, I'm going to kill you now. I don't I don't know why I didn't pay attention to this because it was like, oh, it's Bioshock Infinite, but back in Rapture, fancy new graphics for the old familiar spot. Like this should have been something i was super into yeah but, it, we we didn't talk it was, about it like there there was that moment in infinite where all of a sudden elizabeth brings you into rapture and confirms that like these two stories are somehow connected yeah or at, in the same least, universe at least r- right and it was just like that mind-shattering moment anyway sorry Brian. yeah that was that was the biggest one of the biggest moments for me like in an, a number of like the whole ending is just like one crazy thing after the next where you're like what 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 <laughs> uh doing the thing where the songbird is like gets pulled into the rapture with you and is crushed by the the weight of the water and it's almost like at first i at first uh liz was affectionate towards songbird and then grew to hate it because it was basically her jailer and i think by the end she was kind of back after it helped the big finale of the game to destroy all the attacking Zeppelins and defeat Comstock. Uh, I think they were back in a good place. Once she was able to use the song code to, you know, deprogram it a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I think it was kind of like a bittersweet moment for her, but that was just so cool to just be back in there for a second. And I don't know why I didn't come and play this DLC at the time, but it was cool. The way it works out is you, the first half you're playing this booker and it, it, it turns out this is like one variant booker who, uh, as you recall, he makes the deal for the, uh, the baby Liz to wipe away his debt. But instead of her pinky getting cut off this time, it hints that like the portal like oh. closes on the baby's head. It's like, oh god. Oh no. Uh so she she dies in that version. So this version is like the one the one that that Anna Liz doesn't isn't alive in. Mm-hmm. So he just is so super bummed about it, of course, and 
I think somehow makes his way to Rapture. But uh, Multiverse Liz, who knows everybody, uh, is like, oh, here's one variant. I have to take him out. So you play the first part as him. And then uh, when they track down the girl, or the um, Sally, the little sister that they've been looking for, he just gets drilled to hell by a big daddy and uh-huh. dies at the end of part one. And then part two, you take control of Liz, and she's uh, has a whole different kind of power set. She's more stealth mm. focused. She has like a crossbow with different effects, like trank- tranquilize and uh, knockout gas. Uh, and uh, it's all about, and then she's kind of feels bad because she used this Sally gal to, in order to track down and take out this last Comstock Booker. Um, so she's kind of fighting the whole time to rescue Sally for her own conscience. And we get a little bit more background on like, here's how little sisters and big daddies like imprinted on each other. So they would have that relationship Yeah, and how that parallels to her relationship with songbird, how they got imprinted basically the old fable of the lion with the thorn in its paw. And that seems to be the the main thing that works. Hmm. Um, when you real quick, you mentioned Sally. I don't know if you guys noticed this, and I was wondering this when I was replaying Infinite. There's a house you go in, or a room. It's within the first few hours, but there's a big. It's like a dressing room, and there's a locker, and one of the lockers is open, and there's like a pinup of a woman named Sally. Like it's got her name, and she looks like she's an adult or at least a teenager. And the way it's so prominently there, I was wondering, like, is this meant to be huh. the same? Girl, I mean, it could be any Sally, I, but the way they just kind of sh- meant like they wanted you to see this, like, yeah, it's it's weird because like the timelines are very different. If they're in the, if it's technically like the same world, like it's a good, yeah, it could be another fifty years apart or something, or like another version of Sally, like another timeline Sally, right. maybe. We, I mean, yeah, we are dealing with time and space. Here. Yeah, so, <laughs> they could be any. I just want to know. If, I don't know if you guys noticed that, but I I ran into that when I was playing last night, and I was like, I did. Huh, this is prominent in a way that seems suspect. I do. Yeah, you wonder. It's. It feels like you can get away with certain inconsistencies uh almost any type of story (laughs) comic books figured that out a long time ago as you explain it with (laughs) other timeline or different universe someone can snap (laughs) their fingers and anything could be possible yeah um Uh, but yeah i i remember hearing at the time that barrel at sea was really good it seems like people especially like that second episode because it's released in two parts like we mentioned um i need to revisit it because yeah because brian you said do you think you like it more than the main game or See, um, I I don't I don't know if I'd go that that far, but I I I appreciated what it did differently, and you know I don't mind going back to a greatest hits revisiting Rapture and, and from a different perspective. Yeah, and it was as you said, it's kind of like before the events of Bioshock One, um, so you got to see how Atlas kind of worked his whole program to attack rapture and also summon jack back to rapture to take it apart from the inside and fully control him with that passphrase which is dubbed the ace in the hole in this game is the thing you're trying to find for him the, the very of the time phrase yeah oh one shocking thing from there there's a moment when you're trying to get into cohen's club mm-hmm. 
and it's like one of those hey who's there you know like one of those little slider things where a guy's eyes peek out and it's like hey we're here to talk to Cohen. he's like no mask no entry i'm like ah weird in 2022 <laughs> uh, but in the game of course it's like a masquerade mask it means you've gotten a special invite but it was uh it was kind of a shocking yeah. a shocking thing to hear like, oh yes say. that 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 makes sense. You're yeah. right. No mask, no entry. Yeah, especially if you're listening to this, maybe like 10, 20 years from now, that was a thing. Like before you could go to a grocery store, they all had the slidey eyeballs. Like everyone had to install those on their doors because of how serious mask mandates got. Yes. So, yep. <laughs> yeah. We all had to live through this. Um, yeah. Barrel at Sea, I mean, in a way, it's a, it was a fitting kind of wrap up for the series in general because it gave you mm-hmm. bio, it gave you Infinite and the old Bioshock in one game. And it was, it's still the last time we got to see Rapture, you know, again, sort of a swan song for the location that kicked off this franchise. Um, like I said, there is a, uh, it's, we kind of wind down, I guess, a bit here. Um, you know, we're, there is a Bioshock 4 happening at some point. Sure. <laughs> by, uh, I mean, it has been formally announced by 2K. Yeah, yeah that's, true. Um, that's true. You know, obviously, Ken Levine and his team are not involved with this whatsoever. We have no idea at the time that we're recording this what that will be there's been nothing about like setting or gameplay uh no. ostensibly it's a first person shooter i guess there's um, been but... some rumblings recently so hopefully we hear something at some point but yeah, yeah it current currently nothing really about it other than it is a bioshock game yep. yeah and then the company or the team that's making it is called cloud chamber that's cloud right chamber. i was i was thinking like i i keep on mixing up that and uh and Levine's team ghost stories. Yeah, they're they're kind of similar in my I don't know why in my in my mind they they feel similar. So yeah, they both have cool names. What you're thinking? Yeah, they do. Yeah. They should they should both release something. I think that I think everyone would really like that. Yeah, I I was like, is there? Are you willing to take bets of like whose game gets out the door first, or at least gets a formal like here's a trailer for our thing? Cloud Chamber. Yeah, kind of leaning one hundred percent. One hundred percent. Yeah. I, I think I agree, but it'll be interesting to interesting to see. Yeah, I hope whatever both of those things wind up being, I hope you know either one is awesome. But yeah, you know, Bioshock Infinite, awesome game, worth going back to ahead mm-hmm. of its time in some ways, yeah. mainly on a technical and standpoint. Uh, also, a little bit dated these days. It <laughs> feels feels a, a little bit like a like a game from 2013. Yeah, again, that doesn't feel like it's as old as it really is. But right, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I say that because I uh, even playing this game just real quick, I, the tear stuff with Elizabeth, we talked about how it was scaled down. I was, I couldn't help but think like, man, this seems like this should have been made for PS5 because that would be perfect for the fast loading. Like we saw that with Ratchet and mm. Clank Rift Apart doing a similar thing and pulling it off. And it's like, if this came out today, it probably could have been to the scale that those trailers showed off and it'd be pretty seamless. So, you know, yeah. basically I'm saying remake Bioshock and Finn on PS5 <laughs> <laughs> and don't take nine years um but yeah uh game's great check it out and uh let us know what you think so yeah gentlemen thank you for joining me uh like we mentioned up front this is the end of season five a a short season season four i should say (laughs) we're about to jump get ahead of yourself into season five but uh john do you want to go ahead and announce what season five topic is going to be yeah, uh, we are, instead of doing one specific game series, we are doing the collection of games that have been created by Supergiant Games. 
So that is Bastion, Transistor, Pyre, and Hades. Um, a, a hell of a collection of games there. So yeah, changing it up, I, trying to show like a developer catalog. Yeah, yeah, more of more of a, a gameography of a developer. Yeah, video. Uh, yeah, it's in the title. We wanted to say like, yeah. what if we just use the title as a premise? That's that's the conversation that we had exactly. Right. Yes. Well, I'm, I'm excited for that concept. I'm glad I got to hear hear about it a little earlier. Yeah, uh, you are now under yeah. NDA. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I already tweeted it. Darn it. <laughs> Brian. Hot exclusive. Uh, so, yeah, next episode, we're going to be talking about Bastion. And that should be an awesome time. But until then, be sure to hit us up. Podcast.gameinformer.com. Put video gameography in the... Uh, subject line so we know it's for mm -hmm. us hit us up with any comments corrections uh any thoughts about bioshock infinite or the season that has passed otherwise you can follow us on social media i'm on twitter at marcus stewart seven it's the number seven yep uh i'm on twitter at john underscore carson and brian do you have uh, any social media or anything that you'd want to plug um brian underscore vor on twitter yeah just what um got going on and all that stuff. So are are you still doing stuff with with MinMax currently as well? Uh, I did some social stuff for a little while. Mm -hmm. Not doing it currently, but I'm doing some freelance business in the social influencer and writing. So cool. Um, doing a mix of a mix of things these days. Great, awesome, awesome. Well, thanks for thanks for talking Bioshock with us. We we really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a blast. Yeah. And thank you, listener, for tuning in. And like I said, tune in next episode where we're going to dive into Super Giants. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. <laughs>